Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Today is episode 66 of the podcast, and I get to sit down with 17-year ESPN veteran Jason Romano. Jason's got a brand new book out called The Uniform of Leadership, and in our conversation today, we talk about what it means to ignite the fire within, how to care more about the name on the front of the jersey than the back, and how to live in the tension of an office that uh, may not believe the same thing that you believe. So many good points and thoughts in this conversation with Jason. He's such a good guy. Make sure you follow him on all the socials. You're going to love it. Uh, as always, we appreciate you being here. The best thing that you could do for us is leave a rating or review so other people can come be a part of our community, share the word about what God is doing, share this episode on socials. And as always, don't forget, you can text the word reclaim to 66866 to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Text the word reclaim to 66866. Uh, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Also, I'm excited to announce a brand new partnership, an affiliate partnership with ChristianBooks.com. It is the one-stop shop to get all of your Christian book needs, Bibles, gifts, even buying the uniform of leadership. I bought my copy on ChristianBook.com. You can buy your copy too. There's a link in the show notes. And uh, we thank you so much for supporting all that God is doing through the Reclamation Podcast. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Jason Romano. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with uh, author, podcaster, uh, media mogul. I'm going to say mogul, maybe a little bit too much, but Jason Romano. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Tony, thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. So um, Jason's got a new book coming out called The Uniform of Leadership, and I'm going to jump right in. Um, you spent 17 years at what something that most of us would consider who are sports fans, their dream job, the, the mecca of sports that is ESPN, and you left to go do ministry. As someone who, if ESPN offered me a job, might go the other direction, let me ask you, how did you know to make the move and, uh, and what, what did God tell you in that moment? Uh, it was, it was a, a crazy time when I made that move because a couple of years earlier is where in 2015, the first inkling of me thinking about leaving ESPN kind of creeped into my, my spirit. And I was at a conference in Nashville, Tennessee. I was invited to speak about my experience of the job that I was doing at that point, which was a social media director at ESPN. And uh, so I was sharing with 50 people in the world of ministry who were doing the same job I was doing. But when I met them, and I was the only person who worked for a secular company at sure. the conference. And I met all of them. I was They were all amazing people working on a lot of different things that, uh, you know, large churches, nonprofits, faith-based ministries, some of the biggest, you know, well-known entities in the faith space. And so I was just intrigued and I shared my story and then when I left that conference, I don't know, I was on the plane thinking, and I actually was leaving that conference and heading to Cincinnati to go cover the Major League Baseball All-Star Game um, that Which, weekend. That was a great All-Star Game, P.S. 
It was, it was, I, I, mean, I don't even remember Cincinnati. what happened. Oh, well, okay. I, so I'm in Dayton, which is just, I mean, like I'm a yeah. Reds fan and Todd Frazier won the home run derby. I remember that. I don't remember the game as much as I remember the Todd Frazier home run derby. Ironically, I, rem- but- I, I just remember the city of Cincinnati doing an awesome job putting it on. So it I, I don't remember the game either, actually, but I have a, a lot of job. friends who are part of that. And uh, it was a it was an epic moment for us in the Southwest Ohio world. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, it was my first time in Cincinnati, and I stayed okay. at a, a hotel right over the bridge in Kentucky. Yeah, I walked from the hotel over to the stadium. It was great. I had a great experience. But on the plane to Cincinnati, I was thinking, how cool would that be to do what I do with ESPN, but for a greater purpose? Yeah, that's all. And I didn't know what that meant. I just kind of started thinking about it. A couple months later, one of the guys who was at that conference came up to Connecticut. He was speaking at a conference up here in the Northeast. And I told him I'd give him a tour of ESPN. So he came and we sh- I showed him around a little bit. And then we had lunch. And I looked at him and I said, his name is Brad. I said, Brad, how crazy am I that I'm actually thinking in my in any part of my body and my soul that maybe leaving ESPN could be an opportunity for me uh, in a couple of years. Like, what does that look like? Because I have a lot of peace when I think about going mm-hmm. into sports ministry, but I have no idea what that looks like. And he looked at me and he goes, listen, Jason, it's one thing to leave ESPN and walk away from all of this. And this is amazing that you have, but if you do, he said, be careful. And I was thinking he was going to say, be careful because you know, the devil's going to come at you or something like that. Right, right. Something super spiritual. <laughs> he go, well, it was spiritual, but he said, be careful because God's going to blow your mind in what he can do for you. He's going to open up doors that you could never imagine. And so when you do make this decision, if you do decide to leave, I'm telling you, just be careful because the opportunities that you're going to get are going to be incredible. You're not going to even know what hits you. Now, looking back, he was a prophet that day because he certainly yeah. saw uh, something that I didn't see in myself with opportunities to write books and to speak and to share and host a podcast. But at that moment, that's where I was really starting to creep in. And then I spent a good year and a half talking to different people, praying, certainly. Um, and then in 2016, I had the best year of my life at ESPN. I mean, I was working on Mike and Mike and traveling across the country and, and working on a show that a lot of people were listening to. But I had never had more of a piece about leaving ESPN than in 2016, that whole year. And that's when I knew it was from God, because it's easy when you're not in a great spot, which I wasn't in 2015, to think that the grass is greener, so it's easy to bolt and leave. But in 2016, I was on Mike and Mike having an absolute blast, and I still knew that my time was coming. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, and I got connected with Sports Spectrum in the fall of 2016 and they told me they had just uh, new ownership had transferred and i talked to the new owners the president of of sports spectrum a guy named steve stenstrom who's now my boss and steve just presented me with this opportunity he said i know i'm not going to be able to give you what espn can give you but what i can promise you is that we'll give you every opportunity to glorify the lord and what you're doing and to do a pretty cool thing with our, within our ministry And so I prayed about that for a while, probably a good month or two, talked to my wife who initially was (laughs) was (laughs) like, are you crazy? What are you thinking here? Because Uh, I I hear Bristol's not cheap. I don't know, but like, (laughs) it's not cheap, but the whole point of being in Connecticut is because of ESPN. 
So sure. why would I leave that? Right. Yeah, and I, yeah, I took yeah. her and I took, you know, our life from New York and moved it to Connecticut. But I just knew, I just knew. And I told her this, I said, listen, if it, if this is from God, we'll have no regrets. And like, like Brad told me a few years earlier, the doors will continue to open and it'll be the right move. It's if it's from Jason, like if this is a feeling I'm just having, I said, it'll blow up in my face because it's not from God. That's how I felt. And, um, you know, three and a half years later, I can tell you it was from God. And that's kind of how I knew that the Lord was speaking to me and showing me uh, to take that step. But then as I look back, I think when you look back, you can clearly see the plan God had for you. You never know when you're taking that leap amidst the, you know, where you're going next. Sometimes you don't know where it's going to take you. Now I can tell you it's it's been an amazing journey. Let me ask you about the, the waiting part of it, as somebody who is a, a type A, fairly aggressive guy, one of the things I struggle with is waiting on God's timing versus my own timing. How how did you, um, I mean, 2016, 2015, you know, a rough year to a great year. How did you lean into the stillness of waiting and hearing God's voice in that? Because I think that there are a lot of people who really struggle with that spiritual discipline of waiting. I actually talked about this in the new book uh, because there is a difference for me between passive patience and active mm. patience. In 2016, as I knew that I was thinking about potentially leaving ESPN, and I'm again, I'm in the midst of a great opportunity with Mike and Mike, and I was enjoying so much being on that show and having a blast. I made it a con- I made a conscious effort that year to spend my free time when Mike and Mike was over building relationships with people outside of ESPN. And the, the reason for that was just in case something ever happened, whether I got laid off because there were layoffs at ESPN uh, when I was there at the end, uh, or if I left to go somewhere, I thought the more relationships I have, the better chances I have of, of following God's true calling on my life and seeing this as, for lack of a better word, as success, as, as successful. The the passive patience part would have been for me to sit around, go to Mike and Mike, come home and be like, all right, God, what's happening now? And just waiting. And sometimes we do have to wait. But I think sure. in the waiting, man, God can do some amazing things in that moment. And for me, he just allowed me to, to build relationships. I honestly went to Twitter and looked for pastors authors and speakers that I was friends with or connected through social media. And I would just DM them and say, Hey, wonder if you have 30 minutes where I could just talk to you and learn about your journey and share a little bit about what's on my heart, which was, I think God's calling me away from ESPN. I just don't know when. And so I would come home from Mike and Mike around one o'clock because it's an early show. You had to get in at four 30 every day. But we would be done by 12 or 1 o'clock, and I would go for a walk in the spring and the summer here in Connecticut every day. And on that walk, I would try to, at least two to three times a week, have somebody to talk to and Mm -hmm. learn from and listen to and just have a conversation with. And I got to tell you, that to me was active patience, and it set me up for whatever God was going to take me to next. And it's ironic because so many of those people that I talked to on the phone on my my walk – in that 2016 period, ended up being partners, friends, encouragers, uh, mentors, people I had on my podcast. And it was just awesome to see the fruit that came from being actively patient 
versus being passive patient, passively patient. So one of the things that uh, I I've seen you talk about before is the, the stark difference in being a man of faith and kind of this ginormous media conglomerate. Um, I, I would be interested to hear a little about how you live out your faith in, um, in, in a world that doesn't always seem like it's super open to that kind of discussion. I, I, I mean, it, it seems almost uh, ne- neglected. H- how was it for you? And and then to somebody who's listening, who who might be in a similar situation, how do we lean in to our uh, to building the kingdom in places where it's not always welcomed? For the first eight years of my, seven years of my spiritual journey, my faith walk, if you will, which was. Uh, started in 2001, Mother's Day of 2001. And I was still at ESPN at that point. I had just gotten there about a year earlier. For the first six or seven years of my spiritual journey, I didn't know how to do that. Hmm. I didn't even know that was a thing. I honestly thought my faith was important to me, but I leave that for Sundays, for middle of the week, maybe at a Bible study, for when I get home. But when I'm at ESPN, I wasn't looking at myself as a Christian. I was a person who worked at ESPN who happened to be a Christian. I had it backwards. I wasn't a Christian who worked at ESPN. Yeah. And then in 2009 or 10, somewhere in there, Coach Tony Dungy comes to ESPN. And my job that day was to escort him around, walk him around, and spend the day with him, taking him from show to show. Uh, that he was scheduled to be on. That was part I think, of So you, you call that the car wash? We call it the car wash. I was a producer, talent producer at that time. And my job was to book guests and have them come to Bristol, go through the ESPN car wash, or just put them on a different show, whether it's via phone or satellite. So Coach Dungy was coming. He had the book with him that he was promoting, the mentor leader. And uh, I was excited. But I didn't know that that day was going to change my life forever. I actually wrote about this as well in my new book, in the second chapter because this day was so profound for me. And it really started with Coach Dungy asking me one simple question. When he found out I was a believer in Christ and a couple of the people that were with him knew me from some previous bookings, so they knew that I was a man of faith. He said, Jason, how do you live out your faith here in the workplace at ESPN? Mm. And it's the first time anybody ever asked me that question. Of course, it comes from a Hall of Fame football coach. Of course it does. <laughs> yeah, not random Joe on the street, but it's Tony Dungy. And I didn't know how to answer him. I actually looked mm. at him and said, I don't even know if I can do that here, coach. I said, I think that if I'm going to live out my faith in the workplace, I think I have to work for a place like FCA or Athletes in Action or Sports Spectrum. And he says, okay. And he's about to respond. And then Jessica, who was with him, his assistant, who I helped book this interview in that day with, steps out in front of Coach Dungy and just looks at me and puts her hands on her hips. And she says, you don't really get what he's asking here, do you? And I said, what are you talking about, Jessica? She's like, you don't get it. What don't I get? She says, look at where you work. Look at the mission field. Look where God has placed you. Look at the opportunity that you have to impact so many for the kingdom. And she's like, until God calls you away, and he may, and again, spoiler alert, he has, but (laughs) until he calls you away, you are to bloom where you're planted. And I know I mentioned that earlier too, but the idea of blooming where you're planted 
to me was living out my faith in the workplace. So what did that look like? Well, after that, I started asking questions and trying to figure out, okay, I know I can't walk around ESPN with a cross on my shirt and a Bible in my hand and start repent, telling people to repent and maybe even just laying hands on people and, and, <laughs> and sprinkling holy water. I would sure. have been fired in a second. Yeah. But what I could do was understand that I was now a Christian who worked at ESPN, not an ESPN producer who happened to be a Christian. And so that meant wherever I went, whether it was ESPN or it was home or it was at church or it was at the grocery store or it was at the beach, wherever I went, like my faith came with me. And so the idea of blooming where you're planted is about living that faith out wherever you go. Now, what does that look like? Well, again, I can't proselytize to people, but I can love people right where they are. I can serve them right where they are. You know, Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. Hmm. So I can be an example for Christ just by serving my team, the people I work with. And so it really became, that's what the uniform of leadership is, by the way, that this, this uniform that you put on every day, you're either playing for the name on the front or the name on the back. And the name on the front is usually the team, others. The name on the back is usually yourself. And I often wore that uniform backwards because I was all about me. When Coach Dungy came that day, when the idea of blooming where you're planted was spoken into me from Jessica, I realized the uniform of leadership is about others first. It's about God ultimately first. But when you're in the workplace, the best example that you can be for Christ is how you treat others, how you love others, and how you are there to serve no matter what. That was what it was about. And that's it changed my life. And so I tell people that's how I live my faith out. You know, social media was also a big thing, Tony, because I would go on Twitter and I would share a Bible verse. And I still do that to this day. Every single morning, the very first thing I post is a Bible verse and it's accountability for me, but it's also something I, I intentionally started when I had like a hundred followers or whatever on Twitter, because I wanted people to know that my priorities lied with God, with scripture Mm -hmm. and with Christ. And to this day, still posting that, I have people come to me and say, that's the only Bible verse I read every day. Wow. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, open up your own Bible is probably the first thing I think about. But if God is going to call, is God's going to give you a platform like social media to post a, twi- a Bible verse for somebody maybe that doesn't have a, a Bible or has never read the Bible, then let's use that for positive, for a positivity in a way that could speak into and serve others. And that allowed me to have conversations at ESPN with people about faith because they followed me. We were all friends at yeah. work. And so they'd see Jason's posting Bible verses. So he must be a Christian. So that opened up dialogue and opportunities without me having to force faith ever on anyone. Did uh, did you ever get a chance to talk to Coach Dungy about uh, the impact of all this? And and then uh, I wonder after he, I mean, obviously, so he wasn't staying there all the time. Oh, he was just he there le- for eight hours. That was yeah, it. <laughs> right. Right. After he left, um, what did you do to kind of uh, create new accountability around this new life for them? Well, I, I did talk to Coach Dungy uh, multiple times. Interestingly enough, when I was on Mike and Mike, one of the last shows that I did with them was in Tampa for the uh, national championship for college football. Mm-hmm. We were doing our show from. I think the convention center, if I'm remembering correctly, and Coach Dungy lives in Tampa. So he came by, was on Mike and Mike, and in between breaks, I went up to him, shook my hand, kind of reintroduced myself, and he remembered me. 
And I just told him kind of softly, I said, coach, I'm leaving ESPN to go into ministry and you had a big impact on me. So thank you. He just looked at me and he said, thank you so much for that. That's awesome. And having interviewed him on the podcast a couple of times on Sports Spectrum, and he endorsed Live to Forgive, my first book, and certainly had to sign off on the second book with me writing our story together. Sure, sure. Um, He's very aware of the impact, and I'm grateful for that. I wanted him to be aware. And Jessica as well, who I'm still friends with today, both of them are aware uh, that one simple question and one simple bold act of obedience from Jessica from from the Lord changed my life. So, absolutely. And guys today that are pouring into you, or did you did you go out and uh, back to your home church and find? Uh, I, I mean, I guess kind of what I'm asking is it's just so easy to to get inspired, but what happened in you is seems like a real change. How do, how do how do we sustain real change when it comes to our faith, especially around hard things like how do we show up in the workplace? Well, accountability was big. Um, I think, you know, finding even just a couple of people at ESPN who were followers of Christ was huge for me. Um, my friend Lisa, who's a, a follower of Christ and her and I worked together for about seven years as talent producers. She came to me with this idea in 2014 about starting an ESPN fellowship group. Hmm. And she was a very new believer at that point, but she was passionate about people. And she started this amazing group of eight of us. When you get the book, you'll see a picture in the middle of it, uh, of Bobby Bowden, the, the college football Hall of Fame coach, and then seven or eight ESPN employees surrounded by him, including myself. And that was our very first ESPN fellowship group in August of 2014. And it was wow. an opportunity that Lisa just felt called to to help start. And she asked me for wisdom and guidance. And I certainly wanted to just, I just told her, start it. Like, just pick a time, find six or seven people that you know that are followers of Christ or five or two and start it. And then just start inviting people to it. And she's got this group up to about 50 people now. I don't think 50 go, but there's 50 on this list. Not all of them are Christians. Some of them are Jewish. Some of them are atheists. But they saw the opportunity of coming together and talking. And yes, it is faith-based. We we pray and we have speakers come in uh, or had speakers come in to share testimonies about Christ. So it's very much Christian faith-centered, but it's an opportunity to just take a break from the crazy ESPN life that so many people who work there live in, including myself when I was there, and pause and show everyone in that group that there was more than this life than just ESPN. And uh, you know, being intentional about prayer and scripture reading, Lisa was really good about encouraging people, even those who were different, differing in their faith, that we loved them, that we were there for them. And that if that's the best example, Tony, I can give you, I think just at ESPN being accountable. Now, for me personally, uh, 2015, 2014 as well, that same year, my my wife and I were coming back from a, a trip to Florida in the middle of the winter, which is never fun to come back to Connecticut from Florida in the middle of the winter. But I remember <laughs> telling her, oh, it's not fun at all. But I remember telling her, I feel like I'm kind of stale right now in my faith. Mm. Like I need something because I'm too comfortable, I think was the word I used. My pastor DMs me three hours later in the middle of the night. That's awesome. 
And he, he says, oh, it gets better. He goes, Jason, I need to meet with you tomorrow. And I'm thinking, oh, my, oh my, my pastor is going to ridicule me or tell me I did something wrong or posted something wrong on social media. He called me because he said him and the elders were meeting just the night before that, that night with my wife. And the elders at our church were looking to install a new elder. And every single one of them brought up my name without each one of them <laughs> being prompted. Now, when he approached me and asked me to be an elder in my church, first he said, pray, pray about it, of course. But I said, I'm the least qualified person you're asking here to ever be an elder at a church. I said, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about ministry or serving in my church. I said, but I'm, I'm always going to be there to serve, but I don't know enough. I don't think to do that. And he goes, you do trust me. Just pray about it though. If you're not feeling it, or if you don't think God wants you to move this in this direction, just tell me and we'll, we'll press pause. But you want an answer to pulling you out of your comfort zone and getting too comfortable in your faith. Like being asked to be an elder at my local church was definitely a, a, a pivotal moment in my life. This is a couple of years after the Tony Dungy situation, but this was, this was next level for me Yeah, because I knew I was going to have to preach someday. And that was scary. And you did, right? I did in 2015, a year later, I preached yeah. for the first time and I would have never been more nervous about anything because the responsibility to preach from the pulpit on a Sunday morning in church was so heavy on me when I went and spoke. And ironically, I spoke about forgiveness and that led that opportunity to preach led to me writing my first book. So again, Brad said it, Pastor Joe, my inviting me to be an elder, all these things, God blew up, blew open doors that I could have never imagined. And it, it mostly was because I got asked that question by Tony Dungy. And then I was taken out of my comfort zone in stepping forward into my faith with Jesus. It's crazy. I, I love it. I love the way that it kind of interacts with people who are, um, who, who are known in the sports world and I'm a sports guy. And one of the things that I, I found as I was looking at some of your writings is uh, you, you have a pretty unique relationship with Daryl Strawberry and, um, and I, I know he, he was kind of a, a big part of live to forgive and, and, and that writing, could you kind of take me through how that relationship was born and then how God used it uh, going forward? I love this question because <laughs> 10 years ago, if you asked me a question like this, even if we weren't doing an interview, I would have said unique relationship. I don't have any relationship other than he was my favorite baseball player as a kid, right? Uh, which is true because it goes back to the 80s when the Mets were winning those the World Series and really dominating. It was him and City. Doc Gooden, right? Is that? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, those yeah. guys were incredible. Dwight Gooden, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, Kevin Mitchell. I can name the whole lineup. Wally Backman, Lenny Dykstra. I mean... Bobby Ojeda, I know that 86 team, like that was my team yeah. as a 13-year-old kid, right? But Daryl Strawberry was a notch above even the team for me. Mm. I mean, I was obsessed with him. I had a shirt, a jersey. I, I had notebooks where I kept stats of his games. I had every baseball card. I even got an autographed baseball that's still here to this day at my desk from my mom when I was 14 years old. It's hard to see it because it's white, of Daryl oh, Strawberry, wow. signed by Daryl. So, yes. I was a little bit obsessed with him. We'll just say that. He was definitely what <laughs> I, I call it. a sports hero. I love it. Fast forward to 2009, and I'm doing the ESPN car wash thing again. And Daryl Strawberry is assigned to me to come to ESPN to promote his new book, Straw. And it's just me and him. 
He doesn't come with an entourage of people. It's just Daryl Strawberry and Jason Romano, and that's it. Do you, do you have the sweats when you wake up that morning? I mean, what? Big what, time. I, I mean, like, I, I get a little nervous for you, and I'm not even a. I mean, I'm a Reds fan, right? So it'd be like me and Johnny Bench all day. Like I, exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's like. Whew. I went. Uh, I, it's funny. Facebook has these Facebook memories that will remind you of what you posted. Oh yeah. On this day. And Facebook memories always reminds me in May of 2009 of that day with Daryl. And I actually wrote really excited about this big day at ESPN and didn't put anything else except that. And yes, to say, to say the least, I was nervous and I didn't know, I knew that I could be, I had to be professional. You know, that was my job. And I didn't know if I would even be able to work in how obsessed I was with this dude as a, as a kid. Um, (laughs) And you know what? I don't think I really did because just as quickly as I said hello to Daryl and shook his hand, a couple hours later after we did a couple shows, he was in the cafeteria. He wanted to get a cup of coffee and just kind of take a break for a minute. And we had about 20 minutes. So we sat down and then he just makes a point to get to know me, which he didn't have to do. I'm just a dude at ESPN. But he says, Jason, tell me about you. Tell me about your family, your dad, your mom where you're from. And so I started sharing with him a little bit about my parents being divorced when I was six, my dad being a, an alcoholic who was still struggling after 30 years up to that point in 2010 with his drinking. Uh, we had a very broken relationship and I was just pouring my personal soul out to Daryl Strawberry, my sports hero. And that was where the conversation went the rest of the day. It was on addiction. It was on faith, a lot about faith. Daryl is a follower of Christ, and he been through a lot. If you know his story, after baseball, during baseball, he struggled with um, some legal issues uh, off the field uh, between drugs and alcohol and abuse and just a ton of things. He grew up without a dad himself, and you know, after baseball was done, struggled again with alcoholism, with drug addiction, spent a ton of time in jail, and really came out and was making, uh, at that point he had been sober for, I think about a year and was really making uh, a concerted effort to follow Christ and to live his life. Right. And that's all we talked about. We never talked about the 86 Mets. We never talked about baseball as much as I wanted to. I don't think I told him that day, at least that I was obsessed with him as a kid. I just, Felt like I had connected with this guy on a level that I never imagined. And after we left that day, Daryl took my number. And probably two or three times the next couple of years, he would just call out of nowhere. And by the way, when you get a call on your phone and it rings and it says Daryl Strawberry, that's where, you know, I start getting the sweats again. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh, Daryl Strawberry's calling me. And I remember showing my wife the phone and saying, honey, look, Daryl Strawberry's calling me. She goes, well, you better answer it. So I answer the phone. And all of those times that he called, mm. every single time, the very first thing he would say to me is, how's your dad? Wow. How's your dad? He didn't ask me about me. He just knew because of the relationship and the story that I told him about my father and how it was a really bad situation. He would ask me how he's doing. Now, unfortunately, for those many years, I was telling him, listen, he's not doing well. He's doing pretty bad. And our relationship is really at a bad, bad place right now. Fast forward to 2017. I had left ESPN. I found myself at a conference in Hartford, Connecticut. Daryl Strawberry was speaking at this conference. 
And I said, I'm going to find Daryl and go say hi to him somehow, some way and see if he remembers me. Cause it had been a couple years sure. that I had talked to him. So I walk up to him and he's like, Jason, before I could even say, Oh, you remember me? He just said, Jason, how you doing, man? Give me here. Give me a big hug. Then he stops and he says, how's your dad doing? And I said, Daryl, I'm happy to report that my dad's sober been sober for a couple years and that our relationship is in repair mode and we are working on reconciliation. I said, he's doing better, much better. And oh my gosh, not only being able to celebrate my dad's uh, miracle in a lot of ways of just getting sober, but to tell Daryl after all those conversations (laughs) that we had, what is happening with your life right now? My life was just a mess. (laughs) That from that moment, that reconnection in 2017 brought us closer than ever and he's now, I would consider him an amazingly close friend, which is weird to say. Yeah. Uh, but Daryl told me, I told him about the book we were going to write, Live to Forgive and release that. And he said, listen, if I can help you with your book in any way, just let me know. <laughs> and I said, okay. And a couple months later, as I was putting the forward together and we were finalizing the book, I remembered him saying, if you need anything on the book, let me know. So I said, Daryl, would you consider endorsing the book. He's like, Jason, I told you anything you need on the book. Let me know. I said, well, what do you think about writing the forward to the book? He goes, done. Consider it done. I told you anything. So I have a book now that I display that I love with Daryl Strawberry's name on the top and my name at the bottom. And it's the last thing I ever thought would happen in my life. And I've gotten to preach and travel to different places with Daryl and do ministry together and I, I, God is just so good. I'm, I'm amazed that that's happened. And yes, I finally had a chance to tell him how obsessed I was with him as a kid and, uh, and ask him about baseball. But thankfully we were so deep in terms of our friendship (laughs) that he was willing to forgive the fact that I was an obsessed, crazy fan of his as well. And now we're friends to this day. (laughs) <laughs> um, how, how do we? You can see me. I'm shaking my head because I know it, it's say it. Well, I, you know, I I love it. I love it um, for a mul- multiple reasons. One, I, I had no idea about Daryl's faith, and so as I was learning more about your story, it it led me to his, and I was like, what what an incredible testimony to the the redemptive nature of God's kingdom, right? And, and just how all this works now. Absolutely. I, I live in a world where it's easy for me to um, put athletes on pedestals that they don't necessarily belong on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Same here. Um, yeah. And so I, I, one of the questions I have is uh, in your experience, I mean, you've, you've met and you've interacted with all these people. How, how do, how do Christians today keep cultural heroes in the right box? Hmm. That's hard because as fans, I mean, listen, I've, I've prayed with five members of the Super Bowl winning Philadelphia Eagles two weeks after they won the Super Bowl, and I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, <laughs> I mean, we could talk for hours about that story too, but the idea that I still am a Cowboys fan and I still want them to beat the Eagles every time they play them, but working in ministry, even working at ESPN, forget ministry. I got to meet these guys and realize that they are human beings as well. Yeah. And the biggest thing I think I can encourage people is remember when you're complaining about the big contract or the dude going over 20 or the guy who missed the game winning three or, you know, the football player that 
isn't living up to the billing that he was drafted, remember the human behind it. You can still be disappointed as a fan, but remember the human behind it and that it's just sports. Like, don't take it that seriously. It's their job. They're doing the best they can, but it's just sports at the end of the day. And look for the guys, if you're a follower of Christ, look for the guys who are praising God and, to, and using the platform to play football to point people back to Jesus. And there's a lot of them. There really is. Look for that, those that whole Eagles team. I, I mean, I probably read five or six stories about guys getting saved in, in hotel swimming pools. And like, just, Incredible. I mean, that seems crazy to me. I mean, and awesome at the same time. Like, it's hard not to root for that as a Christian, even, and I'm a Bengals fan, so there's no worry about competition, but <laughs> like, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> uh, uh, my son's a Cowboys fan, uh, mostly because of Why? Zeke. Oh, okay. Zeke. Uh, okay. Big Ohio State fans, too. Yes. And yeah. he's like, Dad, I just can't handle the Bengals anymore. And I was like, well, don't leave. The team because Dallas hasn't won anything in 25 <laughs> years. So I don't know what but, I'm doing. But they love Ezekiel. He loves Ezekiel Elliott. My other son's a Giants fan and uh, because of OBJ. But, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, right, but and- remember this too, though. Like I've gotten to interview, uh, I've gotten to interview Carson Wentz, yeah, Foles. Right after he won the Super Bowl, those five members of the Eagles, which weren't Wentz or Foles, and trust me on this. Like I would have rather been interviewing Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott after winning the <laughs> Super Bowl. That hasn't happened yet. But when I immediately start talking to them about Jesus, the fan in me goes away. Like I yeah. still love my Cowboys, but sure. suddenly we're talking about a, a much bigger and greater purpose than just winning a Super Bowl. And the platform that those Eagles players all were on and God gave them and them to use that platform. I've been privileged to get to know Nick Foles really well in the past few months and work with him on a couple projects. And Nick has this podcast out called The Mission of Truth right now. Hmm. And he spends one particular episode on the podcast talking about the 20, 2017 Eagles through his lens. If you remember that year, he was a backup to Carson Wentz for the whole year. Right. And then suddenly comes in at the last couple months or last couple games and just balls out in the playoffs and has Super Bowl MVP trophy now and you know wins the Super Bowl. And he takes you through that experience from him. But if you listen to what he's talking about, the experience is going to Disney World, winning the Super Bowl, so cool. But if he wasn't glorifying God and he wasn't seeing what God was doing through that, then none of it mattered to him. And so it was so cool to see God honor or bless Nick, I should say, to the point where Nick could use the talents and the gifts and the experiences that he had to be successful on the field and he'll have Philadelphia Eagles fans in his back pocket for the rest. He'll never have to buy a stake in Philly ever again because he won their first (laughs) Super Bowl. But he also says, wait a minute, I can use this Super Bowl win to tell people about how great Christ is. And now he's going to have stories to tell his grandkids, not just about winning a Super Bowl, but about how people came to know Christ because he won a Super Bowl. How cool is that? That's that incredible. changes everything, right? Well, so and and so one of the things that I appreciate about that is that as Christians, we have to have the eternal perspective that that uh, you know most of us aren't going to remember who won the Super Bowl in 2017 or you know like, but we will um, for eternity 
know that relationship with Jesus. And I, I'm, I'm here right. for all of that. And, yeah. and I, I, I do think that that's kind of what, um, kind of that uniform of leadership, right? The team that you play on for the front is, is more important than the team on the back. And I, yes. I, um, I love that and the way that you kind of approach it and, and sports can be an incredible platform for that. Um, completely, completely. That's the whole point of the book too, is, uh, cause it's the most common question I get is what was it like to be at ESPN? And yeah. I thought, well, let's put a book together of stories of my time at ESPN. But then when, once we started writing it, it was like, all right, this will entertain people, but how can it impact people? How can it actually help transform them and draw them closer to Christ? Just hearing stories about who I got to hang out with at ESPN isn't going to lead anyone to Christ. At least I don't think it would. But if I can write a book and put together a book of stories, take the leadership lessons from those stories of times that I spent with people and write it through the lens of faith, through scripture and having Jesus be the model of the ultimate leader, the uniform of leadership is, is Jesus. Just, yeah, that's, that's the greatest leader who ever lived. Right. And so if I can write a book that can actually point people back to Christ, then let's go with it. But if it was just stories about ESPN, that might entertain some people, but that's not really what the goal is. And it is a love letter. Like that book is a love letter to ESPN because they gave me so many opportunities and really just blessed me in, in ways that they'll never understand or know. But then I wanted to tell these stories to encourage others right where they are, that they can wear that uniform of leadership and be a model like Christ is wherever they're at. They don't have to be the vice president in charge of mm-hmm. X or the superstar athlete. They can be wherever they are, blooming where they're planted, like I said earlier, to wear that uniform of leadership and impact others, ultimately impact others for the kingdom. How has, um, I'm assuming that parts of the book had to be approved by ESPN before you could, I mean, obviously I know you talk about different people, right? Yes? No? Yeah, but no, well, the book itself did not have to be approved by ESPN. In fact, we, we did go to them initially and I said, I want to use the four letters ESPN on the, on the cover of the book. And they, they said, as long as you're not using our logo, you can use the four letters. And once we got approval for that, that's when the subtitle came about, which is um, Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. But the content in the book, I didn't, I, the approvals that I had to get were from the people who I wrote about in the book that were with me. Yeah. And when I would quote them in the book, they had to sign off on the quotes. Uh, guys like Drew Brees, guys like Tony Dungy, people like, I'm trying to think who else um, that I quoted. I, I did want to ask you about Bob. Bob Lee, Bob Lee, Bob Lee. Yes. You, um, I had, I, I was sneaking around on Google reads, trying to catch as much of the book as I could. Um, my copy hasn't gotten here yet. So, um, I I promise you, I know, I know Uh, this is how this works sometimes and that's okay. Uh, tell me about, tell me about that, um, part of it, because there seems to be kind of just a servant leadership thing there that, um, I found really inspiring as I was reading, um, about his story a little bit. I wonder if you could share that with us. It's a chapter in the book called The General's Culture. And Bob Lee, uh, longtime ESPN anchor, longtime ESPN uh, broadcaster, uh, helped create the show Outside the Lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, a legend, right? If there's a Mount I, he's Rushmore, one of my favorite guys, honestly. If there's a Mount Rushmore of ESPN personalities, Bob Lee's on the on that Mount Rushmore. He oh, has wait, who are the other three? Oh gosh. This is a I've never thought about this. I mean, you got to go Chris Berman, right? Chris Berman, Bob Lee, 
Stuart Scott. Oh my Scott gosh. Van Pelt? Maybe. Yeah, he, Maybe he, Mike he, and Mike. Can you split Mike and Mike into two and put them on there? Because Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick were two of the most influential people at ESPN for a very long time. I don't know. That's a great question. I guess you'd have to divide it into categories, right? Because like Dick Vitale is synonymous with ESPN. That's true. But he's a he's an analyst. Peter Gammons for many years synonymous with ESPN, oh, but he man. was an analyst, not a not a uh, sports center host or an anchor. So well, you know, I, so in Centerville, we're from um, uh, Kirk Herb Street is from yeah. here. Herbie, another guy like he could easily be. He's on the college football ESPN right. Rushmore, right? So maybe the Mount Rushmore is our the Sports Center Mount Rushmore. Bob Lee's on that, <laughs> right? One. Sure, that. sure. Sorry, so, I, I got distracted. No, uh, that's a, I, that makes me think. Now I'm going to probably hang up from from this interview and start writing down my Mount Rushmore is at ESPN because that's a tough one because there's so many impactful people. But Bob was there from day three of the inception of ESPN in 1979, yeah. and he was still there until last year when he retired, and. When I got to ESPN in 2000, I didn't know Bob, but four years later, I became a talent producer, moved to the television side, and the show I was assigned to was Outside the Lines with Bob Lee. And so I'm walking in and I'm impacted by this dude right away because I'm like, he's a legend and I get to be a part of a show that he's hosting. And really quickly, I recognized the general's culture. We call Bob Lee the general, obviously Robert E. Lee and the connection with the name. So we called him the general. But Bob set a culture within that team, that small team of people that worked on Outside the Lines every day, about seven of us, and empowered us to all have a voice, to all have a say, and that every voice in that room, in those meetings, mattered. Now, Bob could have easily said, I'm Bob Lee, and you're not, and what we do today is what I say we do today. And probably everybody would have kind of stepped back and said, yeah, okay, what, how can we help you, Bob? But he was not like that. He was all about the team. He wore the uniform properly, as I like hmm. to say, the uniform of leadership, and he made others feel so very important, uh, no matter what job they were doing. If it was the teleprompter person, which is a thankless job at ESPN running that teleprompter. But he made that teleprompter person feel like they were were worth a million dollars. Like, you are vital to this show. If you don't Mm. do your job great, the show suffers. You producing, you booking, you doing the audio, you are overseeing the show. All of you are so valuable and important. The show does not happen without you. And he was just creating this culture that, honestly, I didn't really recognize until after I left. And I looked back and I said, wow, Bob was really wearing that uniform of leadership in the right way. And not everybody was like Bob. Not every on-air talent was as inclusive or empowering or really thoughtful to be a part of their lives as Bob was. And uh, that's a testament to him. And he he remains a friend to, to me today. He signed off on the chapter and said he was moved to tears when he read it. He endorsed the book. He has a copy uh, of the book that he read. And, and uh, you know he's enjoying retirement now on the shoreline. And uh, just bought a house in Florida, and he's he's enjoying the retirement life and all. He 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 earned it. Let's put it that way. He's a legend. Uh, definitely, definitely. And I, I love um, the understated nature in which you kind of tell his stories because it's just consistency. I, I think that there's something to be said to put on the uniform of leadership every day. 
right? Because it's yep. it's so um, it's so easy to get distracted. I, one of the things that I say a lot is that if we're not dedicated to our disciplines, we'll be destroyed by our distractions. Mm. And it it seems Good. like he was dedicated to the discipline of being that servant leader and and putting the uniform on the right way. So he was. I mean, the idea of being disciplined that's what the uniform of leadership that we put on every day is about. Like we have a choice every day we make. Are we going to play for the team on the front or the team on the back? Mm-hmm. And many of us wear that uniform backwards because we're so central focused on ourselves. I mean, that's the human nature, the selfish sure. nature that we're all born with. And we're all looking to kind of benefit from that in the cutthroat world that we live in. Even social media is look at me, check me out. When you go to your job, it's like you're trying to perform so well so you can climb the corporate ladder so people can see you and recognize you. And I've I live that life. I struggled with that life for a lot of years at ESPN, wearing that uniform backwards. And I had no success in my eyes doing that. It wasn't until I recognized how to wear the uniform properly that doors flew open. And once I stopped worrying about climbing the corporate ladder, opportunities came for me to climb the corporate ladder, as weird as that sounds. (laughs) When I wasn't looking to, I was just looking to be a good servant and looking to be a good teammate. And then a door started opening both at ESPN and then eventually after. So if somebody is um, maybe feeling super convicted about this conversation we're having, uh, what's the first step that you would recommend to them to put the uniform of leadership on the right way? I'm, I'm going to presume that the person who's feeling convicted is a person of faith. Maybe not, but I'm going to presume that they are. The first step is to seek God first. I mean, that's what Matthew, that's what Jesus said in Matthew six. We hear it all over the gospels, all over the Bible about putting God first, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord, your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That in essence is the purpose of the uniform of leadership. Right. Um, So I would say the first step is to seek God, like to spend time in prayer, to build a small discipline of time with him in the morning every day. Um, That's what's helped me. Hmm. And I think when I, when I do that, it allows me to take myself out of the equation. Um, You and I, I'm just going to let people know listening that we said a prayer before we started recording this interview and you said something that um, still stands out. You referred to John 3.30 and Jesus increasing and us decreasing. The uniform of leadership isn't taking your name off the jersey. It's just having it in its proper order. So Jesus comes first. Let him increase in your life and decrease yourself. It doesn't mean you're taking yourself out, but let the proper order fall in its place. And first of all, if we start our relationship with God in the right foot, then we're going to want to go and be like Jesus, Christ-like, right? And what is that? Serving others. And through serving others, that's when I found my greatest joy. And then it also means taking care of yourself too. You know, Jesus said, love others as yourself, not love others and not yourself. And so there's an importance there to still make sure you take care of yourself too. But again, the order is extremely important. That's beautiful, man. And and amen. So I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you. Where is the best place to follow you? And where is the best place to pick a copy of the book up? The best place to follow me is Twitter and Instagram. That's per- I, I, I'm pretty active there, yeah. and uh, especially Twitter. I like Twitter. Um, it can be toxic, but if you're 
if you're an encourager on Twitter, um, that's what I'm there for. And, uh, you know, I get my sports news, but I also follow a lot of people who encourage me. So that's what I try to do. So Twitter, the DMs are open. Feel free to reach out. Uh, Best place to buy the book is probably Amazon. Um, If they want to go through my website, it's going to take them to Amazon anyways. But at the website, jasonromano.com, it has a sample chapter that you can read from both my books and connecting that way uh, to pre-order. Um, the book comes out July 28th and I'm super excited for people to get it. Uh, but Amazon probably is the best place or wherever you buy books. If it's Barnes and Noble or books a million, it's available pretty much everywhere. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. Uh, If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice and I'm going to take you back to a very specific moment, Okay. your first day as a new employee at ESPN. All right, you're 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 a little younger. You're a little more wide open. You're a little I less. I remember it very very well. Okay, ahead. so I want you to I want you to pull a chair up next to that version of Jason, and I want you to tell him one piece of advice for the next season of his life. What would it be? All right, so that was July eighteenth, two thousand. My first day at ESPN. So as we record that's, this, that's yeah, I was going to say that's really close. That's tomorrow right. as we record this. <laughs> that's twenty years of walking into ESPN and moving to Bristol, Connecticut. So uh, I remember that day vividly. I had left the clothes that I was supposed to wear that day, that first day, at my hotel or at my house in in New York, and I didn't pack them. So I had a pair of jeans and a collar golf shirt and sneakers to my first day at ESPN. That's not how I wanted to go to work at ESPN. They forgave me, thankfully. I was scared to death. And I was so excited to be working at this place called ESPN. The advice I would give that person 20 years ago, if I was sitting with them right now, would be twofold. Number one, trust in God. Because at that point, I wasn't, didn't have any faith in my life at all. Uh, The second one is don't let ESPN become your God, because I did that even after I began my faith journey. ESPN was God for me, my God, I should say, for many, many years until I learned how to wear that uniform of leadership properly. So that would be the advice. Don't let ESPN become your God, because it's going to if you do. And it will, and it has for many people, it dominates their life. It becomes all they care about, all they're consumed with, and they forget about the most important things, which are your faith and your family. And I've seen it, unfortunately, destroy a lot of relationships for a lot of people in, in marriages and in other areas of their life because they were so consumed with their job. Mm-hmm. And I was headed down that path. I didn't get there, um, but... I tell you that first day, I would have laughed at you if you said, you know, don't let ESPN become your God. I'm like, of course, I'm going to let ESPN become my God. It's the most important thing in my life. And I had been married seven months earlier. You know, I'm still (laughs) married to Dawn, but I would have told you ESPN was right up there with my wife as the most important things in my life. So that's the advice I would give. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And uh, I think it probably resonates with a lot of people who are listening, even pastors I know who are listening. Don't let the church become your God. Jason, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you and your ministry. And uh, everybody go make sure you subscribe to his podcast, Sports Spectrum. Uh, If you love sports and you love God, it's probably the perfect intersection of the two. So uh, Jason, thank you so much. Like I said, what an incredible episode. I love Jason's gift of storytelling, talking about all the people that have impacted him, Daryl Strawberry being at the top of that list 
love the way he shares his story. Make sure you go out and listen to his podcast, Sports Spectrum. Um, pick up a copy of his book and follow Jason on all the socials. Let him know how much you appreciated him being on the podcast. It would mean so much to me. Also, don't forget, uh, leave a rating, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out. And, uh, and if you're going to pick up a copy of Jason's book, please do so at christianbooks.com through our affiliate link located on the show notes. Thank you guys so much. Look forward to uh, talking with you next week on the podcast. Adam Weber, pastor, author, and Bengals fan. Hello. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Look forward to talking to you guys real soon.